In the name of one God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, amen. Good evening. Um, if you remember over the past few weeks, uh, your preachers have been preaching from the book of James, but now we are going to start preaching from Hebrews. So I will get started with um, the Hebrew, the first couple of chapters of Hebrews tonight so that you guys can uh, follow up with Father Trent and Joe um, in the next few weeks. So you'll be hearing from them. But, but first, um, the language in Hebrews is one of the things that I noticed right away the, the, of the first from the lesson today. The language is um, lofty and magnificent. The author uses phrases like, Jesus is the reflection of God's glory and exact imprint of God's very being, and he sustains all things by his powerful word. These words seem to soar. They're up here. They're lifted up, and somehow, in my mind, is suspended above us. The text is like poetry or a beautiful piece of music. It's transcendent. The lofty language lifts our eyes up to see Jesus in his awesome divinity. And yet, in the same breath, we're told that God became a human just like us. And at times in my life, I've been unquestioning and uncurious about that mystery. It was comfortably in the category of things I won't understand this side of heaven. And that's a fine way to view it, I think. But the author of our Hebrews text today makes a theological argument that our very salvation is founded on that paradox. Founded on the paradox that Jesus is both fully human and fully divine. So the lofty language has huge theological implications. And we could easily read the words and say, those are beautiful words about God, but today... I invite us to delve a little deeper and look at the dual nature of Jesus, what it means for his suffering and death to make our salvation perfect, and to find out what that means for our walk with God. A friend of mine who teaches Sunday school tells a story, and you know if you've ever taught children, sometimes unexpected things happen. Sometimes you get questions you don't know the answer to. Sometimes you get questions you're afraid to ask yourself, and sometimes you're afraid to answer. But now that day, I don't know what lesson they were supposed to be studying, but for some reason, the kids got on the topic of how Jesus died. And my friend said about the cross, it's a really painful, painful, humiliating way to die. Jesus suffered that day so much. But a little boy raised his hand and spoke up. He said, wait, if Jesus is God, why would he feel any pain? God doesn't feel pain. He's invincible, like a superhero. Well, and that makes sense, doesn't it? If we think of God in otherworldly terms, if we think of Jesus being only divine, of course, his death might have been only an illusion. If we think of Jesus as being only divine, then of course he would have been unaffected by pain. My friend was sort of stumped at how to explain to children that Jesus is two seemingly distinct things at once. 
explaining it to a child is hard, but if we're honest, it can be hard for us too. Our lesson tells us that Jesus is different from and superior to angels, priests, and prophets. He is different from all who came before him because neither angels, priests, or prophets are the exact imprint of God's very being. To look at Jesus is to see God. And yet also, Jesus was for a little while made lower than the angels. God came into the world in the form of a human. Jesus felt what we feel. The boy in the Sunday school class imagined a superhero Jesus, one who was immune to pain and suffering. But no, Jesus was not a comic book superhero. He had a body, a body like ours. He ate and he slept and he laughed and he cried. He felt exactly what we do. He felt the hardships of being human, anger, sorrow, betrayal, humiliation. And none of us escapes from this, right? Jesus couldn't either. If God gave Jesus a pass on pain, a pass at this essential aspect of being man, his humanity would have been untrue. And being human, Jesus felt everything associated with death by crucifixion, pain and humiliation. Now let's hold on to that desperate human experience of Jesus as we revisit what the text says about the divinity of Jesus. Jesus is heir of all things. God created the worlds through him. He is the reflection of God's glory and exact imprint of God's very being. These are beautiful and soaring words. Should we just let them be beautiful and soaring? Should we just let them float in the ethereal? Should we just meditate on their worshipful, poetic praise? There's nothing wrong with that. But the thing is, when I really listen and let these words speak, they move from up here to right here in the heart. The words are transcendent and become alive, moving into flesh and blood right here. This is a glimpse of what incarnation means. So if we look at Jesus' nature with an either-or approach, like the boy in the Sunday school class, where we're human and Jesus is divine, then Jesus is somehow separate from us. In the words of the text today, we can see God came to us in the form of man to teach us that we are not separate from Jesus. He came to gather us into himself, to bring us to glory. Therefore, it is only fitting then that Jesus should make, that, that God should make Jesus the pioneer of human salvation perfect through suffering. First, perfection here is defined as completion. Jesus was already perfect in the sense he had no sin. What is made perfect through suffering is instead understood in the original context as fully complete or fully mature. When Jesus came to his darkest hour, in spite of his very understandable reaction, my father, if it is possible, may this cup be taken from me, Jesus also said, Thy will be done. Jesus faces his own pain and chooses to walk the path that offers life. God's glory is revealed 
in this selfless human's choice to follow God. This is what it means to suffer toward perfection, to suffer toward maturity, to completeness. It is in this way Jesus accomplished our salvation through suffering. What does it mean for us besides the obvious and supremely important message that Jesus gave himself as a sacrifice? What does it mean to bring that from here to in here? To take that and ingest that truth? One of the truest examples of transformation from death into new life is the experience of people who are recovering from addiction. Time and again, after falling and making mistakes, hurting ourselves and others, it is these most painful moments of our lives, these times where we feel most alone and broken, that we fall on our knees and look to God. This is where we cry out, God, I open my hands, I let go of control, and I'm willing to rely on you, no matter where that takes me. This is a beautiful truth that as we pass back and forth through the struggles and joys, trials and glories of our life, we grow and learn. We gain faith and peace and trust in God. We are sanctified. So while our salvation is complete, we are sanctified by following Jesus in suffering, in death and resurrection. Over and over again we suffer and die little deaths and we rise in the now and not yet kingdom of God, where we can be certain death is not the end or the last word. God promised us in Jesus that the whole world is redeemed, that all of our pain, everything that makes us fearful, that the forces of the world that divide our nation and our families, all sin and death is redeemed, As Christians, that is our hope. Let us stay grounded in this truth that even though we can't yet see it, these things are already made whole, made complete, perfected. Perfected by the incarnate radiance of God's glory who became a human, who suffered and died and rose again for us. Amen.